Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a Monday edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where in just a few minutes, we're going to talk to one of the young opinion talent journalists in America, Liz Wheeler. You may have seen her over the years on OAN. She now has her own popular video podcast, The Liz Wheeler Show, and uh, really a, a, a very prominent, level-headed uh, voice on the conservative movement, uh, opinion journalist. She likes to give her opinions, but she's very good at, at identifying news and news that resonates and getting to the bottom of it. And uh, I'm a big fan of her work. And, and today we're going to have a conversation. I think you'll see why. Uh, I bet you'll be a big fan of her work when we're done. She's a tremendous talent. Uh, a lot of thought goes into her work. And, uh, you know, she is trying to, to uh, help Americans understand uh, why uh, policies are good and bad, why um, big government versus small government is the issue of our time, whether it's in our schools or in our taxes or in any of the other things. So a big conversation coming up in just a few minutes with uh, Liz Wheeler. But before we get there, I want to get through a couple of headlines. I thought we had some important news today, and I'll start with my own. I continue to obtain, review, authenticate uh, emails uh, on the Hunter Biden laptop. And one of the ones that struck me, not because it had to do with corruption, but it had to do with the way Joe Biden's own team has to deal with his ad-limbing, his off-script moments, his uh, inability or refusal to stay on scripts with speeches, which often gets him in trouble. We've always said that Joe Biden has a history of putting his foot in his mouth. He used to make some of his own um, comments. I think he once called himself a gaff machine, as I recall. Uh, but listen, what we got a rare opportunity to see is the frustration that the professional speechwriters and aides around the vice president back in 2015 felt when he went badly off script, meandering, wandering uh, off script. And uh, there's this contemporaneous conversation uh, that ultimately goes to Hunter Biden. The White House aides must have been talking to Hunter Biden. He was trying to help on the speech. His father didn't follow the script, created some controversy related to dark money, uh, the secret money that Democrats were, were doing. And the aftermath was the White House was not very happy with Joe Biden, and they let his son know it. 
And it's a rare moment to get a glimpse of just how micromanaged Joe Biden has to be behind the scenes. I guess we've assumed that a little bit with the basement campaign rally he ran, uh, basement campaign strategy he ran in the 2020 election. And with all the moments uh, where he has created controversy or creepiness or whatever, just two weeks ago, at the Memorial Day celebration on the 25th of May, I think it was. He made the comment about the young girl crossing his legs. It creeped out a lot of people. Uh, again, that was an ad lib. And you can see in these emails the concern that Joe Biden's team has about his ad libbing, his, his undisciplined approach to speech giving. And uh, it's a rare moment to get White House uh, emails like this. They're not subject to FOIA. So we don't normally see them, but because the, this White House exchange was eventually sent to Hunter Biden to commiserate on the failure of his father's speech, uh, we got a chance to see it on the laptop and we've given it to you with all the context as well as the, a list of maybe some of Joe Biden's more famous gaffes, more famous blunders uh, rhetorically. Uh, there's some doozies over the years um, uh, from the Joke about only Indian Americans can go to Dunkin' Donuts and 7-Eleven. That didn't play well to all the ones we know, including the uh, voter he confronted last year, uh, suggesting he was fat and should do uh, a push-up competition with the vice president. Uh, There's been some doozies, and we put them at the bottom of the story to remind you, one, the consequences of when Joe Biden goes off script, and it helps you understand why his aides in this email that we obtained to Just the News felt the way uh, they did. Fun story, fun um, insight. It it gives some sense to our current president and uh, what are his strengths and weaknesses. Uh, Sometimes one email can speak volumes and we think this one did. Now, a couple other stories before we get to the one and only Liz Wheeler, who we're so excited to have on the show today. We have some other big news breaking out there. And I I often, I love these stories because they, uh, they, they demonstrate in real terms, the differences between Republicans or conservatives and liberals and Democrats. So let's take one that, that came out over the weekend uh, from California. There was a study done in California, you can find this on our website, that showed that the cost of student tuition, the cost of educating a student in a private school in California was about half of what it cost to educate the same student if they went to the public school system. How can that be? How can private schools get it done cheaper? Well, maybe the bureaucracy that these teachers' unions and their school administrators have created could explain some of it, but imagine that. People often want to get their kids to private school, and it turns out that the cost of educating them is cheaper than what it would have been to educate them in the bloated Los Angeles Unified School District, which raises the question, maybe, maybe Americans would like to have school choice and they get their tax dollars sent to them and they get to decide where to send their school. Interesting idea, uh, but certainly a study that gives uh, people some data points uh, that may not already, um, they may not already have. I think that's a really important story. And while staying in California, uh, the land of renewable energy, the green energy lab of America, the state of California, done a lot on solar, a lot of wind, there's some credit. Guess what they're warning about? I know you're going to be shocked. There are going to be more blackouts this summer. Utility experts warn about California. As soon as it gets a little hotter, they're expecting blackouts, rolling blackouts, energy shortages, the need for people to do emergency conservation. How about that? I bet you didn't see that coming, huh? Well, uh, maybe you did. Important story there, uh, nonetheless, and I think one that um, helps us all understand where we're 
where we're headed in the um, in the process. All all important news. All right. That's about it for this morning. We're going to get to a quick commercial break, as we always do. And when we come back, we'll have the one and only Liz Wheeler joining us from the Liz Wheeler Show. You're going to love her. What a, what a thoughtful conservative journalist, opinion journalist. We're lucky to have her. We'll have her right after this commercial break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, a very accomplished uh, journalist who now has a very popular uh, new podcast, The Liz Wheeler Show, because it must be Liz Wheeler. Welcome to the show. John, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, well, uh, congratulations on the new show. It is fantastic. And um, Thank you. A great entrance. We we need more truth tellers in the industry, <laughs> Lord knows. So I, I want to delve into uh, a story that really, I think, reveals the failure of truth telling over the last year, and that's the Anthony Fauci story. And you've done some great work on it. I know you've had a podcast on it. You've done some good tweeting and reporting on it. How remarkable is it that for nearly a year, very rational, fact-based journalists were censured, uh, blacklisted, silenced, when they had facts that pointed to the Wuhan uh, lab uh, leak theory, uh, how, how, how scary is that that for a year, the elitists in the social media and media world were able to suppress that information? It's so scary. And John, it's worse than that because you and I have both been the target, I think, the last year of leftists who tried to brand us individually as conspiracy theorists for following the facts and listening to the science, for reading the scientific studies and questioning those who have uh, conflicts of interest like Peter Gassick or right. people tied too much to big pharma. They tried to ruin our brands when we speak the truth and big tech has allowed them to get away with it. Um, there's, there's an incredible story. You guys actually reported on it. So I'm sure I'm not telling you anything new um, that Peter Gassick, who just for everyone's edification, he is the man who was given the grant by Fauci at the NIH. Peter Gassick took that grant of $600,000 of taxpayer money. And he subcontracted it to the bat lady in Wuhan for the gain-of-function experiments on the coronaviruses, Facebook used Peter Daszak as a fact-checker, a supposedly neutral fact-checker um, for the lab story. It is, John, it is unreal. It, it really is. And, and it, you know, we saw a little bit of this in Russia, the complicity between government bureaucrats, the news media, the democratic uh, uh, establishment, and, uh, and the... You know, Russia gave us our first real detailed look at it when you can see, you know, Adam Schiff working with the bureaucrats and vice versa. But the NIH uh, story is just deja vu all over again. You have news media working with a, a powerful bureaucrat, Tony Fauci, and uh, and then and his uh, uh, grantees, people that get money from the NIH, and they managed to uh, basically control the narrative, even though there was enormous amount of public evidence uh, that suggested that the, the original narrative that this evolved in the wild wasn't accurate. And we weren't allowed right. to have a debate. We, we weren't allowed that. Alliance is so, so remarkable to me. 
uh, right now, what do you th- it's insane. Let, let me interject for a second. Sure. It's, it's even more insane than that. So the reason that Dr. Fauci, while he was emailing people privately about the lab leak theory, about the fact that this virus appeared to be potentially engineered, that was the words of Christian Anderson at the Scripps Institute of Research about this. Um, it, it, it's so nuts because as he was saying that privately, he publicly said that it was a naturally emerging virus. And his basis for making the claim that it was a naturally emerging virus was that article published in the Lancet Medical Journal. And that article was organized by Peter Daskin, yeah, by the man who had given Imagine that. that lady. Fauci has been at the NIH long enough that he should know better. He should know that there's already so much corruption at the, NI, at the NIH regarding grantees being compromised by the Chinese. I mean, the dude has been in the government since before we were born, basically. Yeah. <laughs> he knows that this stuff is happening. There's no excuse for him not knowing where money that he gives is going. It, it is remarkable. And by the way, one of the uh, famed scientists who um, signed that Lancet article late last week uh, announced that he no longer subscribed to it and believed that a thorough investigation should be conducted on the origins, which is a good sign. We, we were able to get some emails under FOIA, and you can see as uh, these were some of the researchers that were NIH funded uh, who were going to sign that letter. And you could see in advance, they kind of knew that the lab leak theory was out there, but they just simply didn't want to address it. And so they basically signed a letter knowing that they were leaving out a big part of the, the story, the right. questions. And why did they do that? Because they wanted the money and they knew that if they didn't follow along with what the NIH wanted, then they wouldn't get their research money. It's so corrupt. It's such a great, it's such a great point. It's um, uh, the, the, the money creates discipline, particularly in the NIH community. I did a lot of research on Anthony Fauci back in the early 2000s, whether it was uh, testing AIDS drugs on foster children or uh, terrorizing a whistleblower. And, you know, we brought a lot to light during that time frame. but uh, right. we have so much more still to, to learn about him. And, and I think we're going to learn a lot more. Where do you think this story goes next? Now that the emails are out there, we've got a, a new plot line. Where, where does this story go next? Well, I think the Biden administration, I'm sure, is scrambling behind the scenes because they know that this is not only terrible for their image, this is terrible for Biden's relationship with China, which they wanted to be very buddy-buddy. I truly think that this is going to end the pandemic because they're not going to publicly fire Fauci because then they'll have eggs on their face. They're not going to have him step aside because then they know he would just get a you know contract with CNN or somebody who wants to propagate his talking points. I think all of a sudden they're going to be like, we did it. We defeated it. This is over. Let's end this so that they don't have to address this publicly. And that's why it's incumbent, obviously, on you. You're an investigative journalist, an incredible one. You expose this kind of corruption all the time on me and my new media platform to really let people know what the reality of the situation is, we can't let this go because China now knows they can unleash any kind of biological weapon or manipulated virus on us. And it causes our entire economy to implode, not because of the virus, because of what politicians inflict on the people. This is a huge national security threat and we should not let it go. Yeah, oh, it really is. And it's remarkable. You know, uh, we had um, the former CIA station chief uh, for Moscow, Daniel Hoffman, very respected career guy, came out of the career part of the CIA, said that in and of itself, the fact that 16 months into the pandemic, we don't know how it originated, is an intelligence failure in and of itself. And now you look and see why it didn't get looked at. It's because Fauci and his friends hijacked the debate and kept the, you know, kept people from actually looking at a credible theory. Um, what a what a what a terrible loss for all of us. It really is. I want to yeah. 
Um, I'm going to pivot to uh, one of your favorite topics. You have been a strong voice uh, raising concerns about the state of the news media. And as we look out, obviously, the Fauci story gives us the latest example, but we've had many. We've got the bogus story about the uh, bounties on uh, Russian bounties on American soldiers head in Afghanistan debunked after months of being out there. We had all the Russia stories, all the impeachment stories that turned out to be there. We had the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop. When you look back, I mean, you got into this profession to to be a truth teller. When you look back now, what has happened to the news media? How did it get to this point? Well, it's corrupted by ideology, meaning people who call themselves journalists in the corporate liberal media are no longer adhering to journalistic standards. They're activists using their platform. Now, in and of itself, John, this may surprise you. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with people saying, listen, I'm an opinion show and I'm going to give you my opinion. I'm going to advocate for the principles, the beliefs and the policies that I feel is best for our country. That's fine. That's what I do. Right. I give my opinion and I'm open about it. The difference is people used to differentiate between opinion hosts and commentators versus straight news journalists. And we no longer make that distinction because they believe that the or that they believe that what they're doing is justified by what will come, right? They believe the means are justified by the ends, if you will, that it's okay to pretend that you're giving people straight news, even though you're manipulating it, because ultimately it will be better for these sorry peons if they just adhere to your socialism. So it is, it will be on just partisan bickering over what's true and what's false, who's being honest, who's being dishonest. We are at a point where the very idea of reality is being assaulted by the radical left. And that's what I intend to do on my show. I know people crave reality. They look at different stories, they hear narratives, and they say, what is true? What are the facts? What is reality? And I'm going to parse through it, and I'm going to show them, not just tell them. I'm going to show people, show my audience, have this discussion about what, about what reality is. And then we're going to follow my thought process to the conclusions I draw from reality. It's, it's why people are leaving CNN in droves. I think that their viewership has dropped substantially. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's why people listen to you. It's why people listen to me because people aren't stupid. The mainstream media treats them like they're stupid, but people aren't stupid. They know they're being lied to, so they're looking for something different. I think that is the single biggest uh, truism to this entire problem, that there's this elitist group, particularly in the Washington and New York news media, who think they're smarter than the American people can pull this wool over their eyes. And they're so wrong. The American people are so, so perceptive. And, and um, the creation of false reality, they can smoke out quicker than anything. And I, that, that terminology, you just use that terminology. I used it in my book, the final chapter of my book, that we're living in an era where we can create false realities. And over the weekend, there was one that was really powerful about I saw you tweet about it. It was Alameda County in California yeah. reduced its COVID death count by 25%, a one-fourth reduction, because it turns out for a year they were attributing uh, people's deaths to COVID when COVID wasn't really contributing. That created a false reality that the the, the, the plague, the pandemic was much worse. Um, how remarkable was that moment? I mean, again, this is one of those things, the overcounting. I talked about this a year ago when we when we differentiated between people dying from COVID and people dying with COVID, right? And we were told we were conspiracy theorists. We were right. told that we were, you, were. Being, you know, we were compared to like Holocaust deniers and 9-11 truthers. We were completely discounted when we were looking at examples, literal examples of people who had died in a motorcycle accident who also had COVID and they were coding the death as from COVID-19 instead of from an automobile accident. I mean, this, that's a real example that actually happened, right? And we were told that we were nuts for doing this. This We're only going to see more of this as we come out of the pandemic as 
more and more people realize that they've been lied to as they realize that the mask mandates were unscientific. The lockdowns not only were unconstitutional, probably, but didn't stop the transmission of the virus, that children never needed to be out of school, that the health problems that are going to occur and the deaths that are going to occur from the lockdowns and from lack of medical care during the lockdowns is going to tally potentially you know, enormously high, perhaps even as high as the tally of the virus in some instances, in some demographics, as people realize that politicians have not only lied, but done so to steal our power and violate our rights to purport their Marxist agenda on us, people are going to start questioning what we've been questioning for a year. And kudos to the people who originally believed Fauci maybe, and then said, wait a second, I'm going to change my mind because I see what the truth is now. Yeah, that is the key, is, is getting people just the facts, because they'll see the truth. They'll come up to their own analysis. Uh, but the, the suppression of the facts has been so strong. You, you wrote a column just before more, uh, Memorial Day that caught my attention. I thought it was really well done. It said, to win, conservatives must admit we're losing. And it really talked about uh, the need, and I'll put it in my own layman's terms, for conservatives to stop whining and to go out and own the narrative, to go out and own the communication channels, go out and own the ideas, and stop taking on the chin and letting the left basically dictate everything all day long. Um, well, first, what was the reaction to that uh, column? And do you think conservatives are in a mindset now to get in the fight in a way that you win in the 21st century? Yeah, the reaction to that column was, um, it, it, it was it was somewhat what I expected because I thought that a lot of people felt the same way and just needed it put into words. And I'm happy to do that. Sure. Um, I'm always happy to put it into words, but it, it, I mean, it's true. It's objective reality. If you look at the last 50, 60, 70 years, conservatives are losing the culture war. And when I talk about the culture war, I'm talking about a battle for the institutions that underpin our moral society, whether that's traditional marriage, whether that's the family, whether that's the public school system, the university system, our healthcare system, sometimes even churches, all of these institutions that underpin our society, the radical left has had their eye on. They want to tear down these institutions so that it renders people dependent on government and set up family or private institutions, right? Or so that they can co-opt them to indoctrinate people. The ultimate goal here is obviously Marxism. And I'm not saying that without backing it up. You can look at socialist agenda. You can look at the founders of critical race theory. These people want a Marxist America. They want, in the words of Barack Obama, to fundamentally transform the United States. And this is, this is how they're doing it. So conservatives have been playing defense. And they're, I, when I say this, I say this, yes, to hold Republicans and conservatives accountable, but I don't mean it in finger-pointing blame at any specific person. It's inherent to our name, conservative, that we want to conserve, right? But what we've done is we've ended up playing defense, defending the one-yard line, if you will, as inch by inch, the radical left has pushed us closer to the point of no return. We need to realize now that this is not a winning strategy. And if we want to restore and reclaim these institutions that truly make our nation great, we have to play offense and cut off the radical left before they've launched these attacks once we learn what their strategy is. And I think people are ready to do that. The last four or five years, if it taught us one thing, it taught us that Americans on both sides of the aisle are ready and desiring of bold leadership, both in politicians, but also in thought leaders, because they want to do something. They love this country and they want to fight for it. There were a couple of great terms in the column that caught my um my attention because they really are at the heart of my my approach to journalism. And one of them was, we must be optimistic skeptics. I love that that concept. Describe a little bit of what you meant by that. Yeah, so I, I described, actually, 
husband calls me an optimistic skeptic. Um, <laughs> and it's because I, I question everything. I don't take I don't take anybody's word for it. Now I'm not talking about necessarily in my personal life, right? right? But I'm talking about like I'm not going to believe Dr. Fauci just because he's the head of NIH. I'm going to ask him why. Why yep. do you say that? Dig What's into the, the data, the science. So, yeah, exactly. I'm not just going to be. I'm not just going to nod and exist in this, you know, paternalistic, in a sense, society. I want to know the reason why. I will question everything and everybody, regardless of who you are. It's almost like Ronald Reagan's trust, but verify. But at the same time as being skeptical, you also should be optimistic. People ask me if I'm optimistic about the future of our country. And I tell them, if I wasn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. If I didn't think that there was hope for America, I wouldn't be spending my days researching and writing and presenting and going out onto these cultural battlefields and fighting. I do think that, you know, the tide can turn and that we can reclaim and restore the United States, just like previous generations have done in much larger fights than the one that we're in now. It certainly can be done, but it can't be done unless you're also a skeptic. Yeah, such a great thing. It is a, a version of trust, uh, but verify, which uh, is a really great parallel to it uh, from an earlier generation. You um, you talk about your generation, which is a, you're younger than me, obviously, by a couple decades. Um, but you said your generation needs the young generation needs a defining voice of reason. And where 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 is that defining voice of reason coming from today? What what, what does it take if if a conservative wants to reach millennials? I know a lot of conservatives say, ah, millennials are gone. Just let them go. The answer is you can't. They're they're going to be the voting in the adult population for 25, 30 years. So when you look at the millennial and the Gen Z um, uh, generations, how do, how do, uh, conservatives find that defining voice of reason? I think one word, and that's reality. They're getting, they're getting pummeled with fake news, with political narrative, with manipulation, with false information from people that are trusted and regardless of affiliation and the difference between previous generations and the millennial generation or generation Z is that they don't like to be labeled. They're okay with not calling themselves conservative or liberal, not calling themselves Republican or Democrat. They're okay with just being individual and choosing their politician or their affiliation policy-wise based on the judgment of that particular issue. Now, that doesn't mean that they've done, doesn't mean millennials have done a good job with their judgment, but it does mean that they're not just tied to party loyalty. So they're at least right for the idea that reality could reach them. And people want to hear it. I mean, I have, I have a whole viewership base that doesn't agree with me, who has different ideas than I do, who has different principles than I do, but who listen to me because they want to hear the, they want to hear the reality of the other side, or they just want to hear reality in general. So the defining voice of our generation, which I'm hoping to be with this podcast, that's the goal, that's the aim, is to serve reality, not to belittle, not to manipulate, not to provide fake news, to be honest about my political affiliation and my views on policy issues and principles, but to show people the reality. That is going to cause people to listen even if they don't agree with you at the outset. Yeah, such a great point and such a great mission to be embarking on. And uh, uh, we're, we're rooting for you that you succeed because it's so important to get facts out and, and, uh, and let people understand the complete picture. They've been getting a half glass of information for, quite some, uh, for so long that it's really distorted the debate. One of the things that I look out on and I, I'm mystified by is that there is this enormous mounting debt in America. You've got, you know, we're going to be at, by the end of this year, almost certainly at $30 trillion in debt. Uh, and, uh, and you know, maybe adding $6 trillion to the debt this year alone. 
Do young people see that as a threat or is debt just like, you know, credit card and student loans? Hopefully they hope it just gets to raise someday. Do, do, or does anyone realize in your generation and future generations that, that the, uh, the cost of this down the road is, is crushing? How, how big an issue is that in, for younger Americans? So this is my one pessimistic answer. Young people don't have any concept of the threat of debt or of the national security threat that is inherent to debt. Our generation has been, the millennial generation has been extremely fortunate, more than any other generation in the history of our nation, that we have been handed immense prosperity. And with that prosperity has come opportunity and financial security. Opportunity in the sense that we've never been denied the opportunity to try to achieve something that we wanted to achieve. And, you know, financial prosperity is obvious. We have been handed incredible wealth and incredible privilege not privileged as according to the left definition, but financial privilege from our parents. We've been supported. We've been given these opportunities. We haven't ever faced a situation where we were simply discriminated against institutionally based on immutable characteristics or even financial status, really, because we have safeguards to make sure that people can move up the economic ladder if they choose to, if they educate themselves, if they try hard. Because of that, because of that incredible prosperity, that incredible situation in life that I'm, I'm very grateful to have. Because of that, people don't understand the concept of what it means to indebt our country or who we are going to be indebted to. They don't understand that when China buys up our debt, that means that China is going to have power over our country. And China's ultimate goal, of course, is to be the dominant world superpower to displace the United States. They don't have, our generation unfortunately doesn't have this bigger picture viewpoint of um, where we stand in the world in, in the same urgency that previous generations have. Yeah, it really is remarkable. I think that sense of financial literacy, one of the economists I had on my show the other day said, here, I'll put it this way, just so you understand the consequence. If interest rates go up one point, the cost of the U.S. Uh, 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 budget this year will be $1 trillion extra dollars, meaning $1 trillion more than we have to spend now. We'd have to just to cover a one point percent a drop. And I'm old enough to remember the 1970s when interest rates were in the six to 10 percent range and, and uh, some loans and credit cards were in the 15 to 25 percent range. So it's just uh, remarkable to understand that there's a history of how scary high interest rates can be to deal with inflation and the particular consequence to to the American taxpayer. As you look out at this week, Liz, what, what are the headlines? What are the stories you're watching uh, that you think are going to become the most important stories of the week? I think the most important story of the week is still going to be regarding Fauci's emails, especially given the Wall Street Journal piece this morning coming from two prominent scientists saying, yeah. listen, we analyzed the genome of COVID-19 and we can point to point specifically and even put in layman's terms why there is overwhelming evidence that not only was this leaked from the lab in Wuhan, but that it was manipulated with gain-of-function experimentation first before it was leaked. That's going to be the predominant story this week. Um, it's absolutely incredible. And hopefully, if we all do our jobs right, the second predominant story is going to be how much Fauci knew about this one year ago and the cover-up that he has staged since then. We're going to talk about that on my show this week. We're also going to talk about what happened in California, um, which is a judge in California overruled California's ban. Yeah, on the huge story Friday night. Huge story. Huge story. Huge story. And of course, that's agitated the gun control group. They are now um, they're now pumping misinformation and fake news out into out into the world, out into the electorate. And so we're going to talk about the truth about AR-15s and about gun control and about what we can actually do to stop gun violence and make people safer. 
Um, and it's, I mean, I think those are going to be, of course, anything else could break. But as of right now, those are the predominant stories. Yeah. What was amazing about that judge, first, he was a Cuban immigrant. So he saw yes. what socialism did. But he said something about the law. He not only attacked the law on constitutional grounds, that it infringed the Second Amendment, but he declared that it was a 30-year failed experiment, which is it yeah. didn't even work. California still has mass shootings. Crime is probably worse in L.A. than in other cities. It is a remarkable uh, uh, statement when the judge looks at not only the law, but steps back and says it didn't work either. Uh, pretty, pretty remarkable moment. That's right. We had, a, we had a federal ban on so-called assault weapons. That's right. And at the end of it, it was from 1994 to 2004. And at the end of it, the Justice Department did a study and found that there was no material difference in, you know, in the homicide rate, let alone the mass shooting rate, uh, regarding this ban on these on these weapons. So it's it failed on every level. And honestly, it doesn't even matter that it failed. That's a practical argument, but it was unconstitutional. Yeah. So it even even if it didn't fail, still they're not allowed to do it. That's right. No, absolutely. The law should always come first, particularly when in a judge's mind. It was just an interesting observation on his point. Liz, how do uh, how do folks follow you on social media? Definitely. So go to LizWheelerShow.com and you can find uh, podcasts on all the platforms. I really ask people, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review, a glowing, or a five-star rating, a glowing review. Because that's the way that uh, you climb up the charts. You get subscriptions. And the more, or the higher we are in the charts, the more people discover reality and listen to us. You can also find me on Twitter at Liz underscore Wheeler or over on Facebook at facebook.com slash official Liz Wheeler. Basically, any social media platform where I'm the blue check mark, that's me. Um, but yeah, go to LizWheelerShow.com and let me know what you think of the episode so far of the new show. Well, I'm one of your listeners and I can tell everyone on this show, it is well worth the time. You learn something every night and you get that common sense clarity you just heard from from Liz. We're, we're so lucky to have you and I can't wait to get you back on the show uh, soon, Liz. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'll be back anytime you invite me. All right. I'm going to take you up on that. That sounds great. All right, folks, we're going to go a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Report. So glad Liz can join us. What a, what a thoughtful conversation. She has a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions, a lot of informed thinking. Um, she's a truth seeker, somebody who, uh, while putting you know her ultimate opinion on things really takes the time to research and, and help people understand what's going on. And I think that that is uh, a great thing. Now, before we go, I want to say a few words. We always have great partners here who do amazing things for us. And um, the folks at um, Home Title Locker, just one of those amazing folks. You're not thinking about this, but how many times have you read in the last week alone? Just take the last week. How many times have you heard about cybercrime, cyber theft, hacking attempts? It's everywhere. It is the crime, and it could very well be the form of warfare 
of our time. How scary is that? State actors, private actors, people looking to extort bribery or, or to get, make you pay millions to get your access back to accounts that you were locked out of. Well, I'll tell you something. I don't ever want that to happen to my home, the most important possession I have. And home title theft is a real and devastating crime. Somebody hacks in, steals your identity, takes your name off your home's title, and then acts like they're the owner, getting loans against it. It's not a thing you ever, ever want to experience. And that's why you need my friends at Home Title Lock. It's so easy for cyber criminals to get the title documents on your home. Many of them are online, right? So easy to do. They forge their signature on a quick claim deed, and all of a sudden it makes it look like you've sold your home, and they're the new owner. You don't want that ever happening, right? Because they can borrow money off of your home equity, leave you in debt, leave you without a home. I don't like that at all. So the instant home title lock detects someone uh, tampering with your home's title, they help shut it down. That's why you need their service. You get protected and you can do so this easily. All you gotta do, go to hometitlelock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and enter the code radio, R-A-D-I-O, radio, for 30 free days of that protection. What a good deal. You get to try it for 30 days. How many things? I never got to try a car for 30 days. I didn't get to try my steak for 30 days. That's a great deal. 30-day free protection on one of the great anti-cybercrime tools out there right now, home title theft. Go today to hometitlelock.com and use the special code RADIO, R-A-D-I-O, to get a special discount. What a great deal. All right, folks, that wraps it up for another edition of John Solomon Reports. We'll be back tomorrow. Looking forward to another robust discussion on the news, big interviews. We're going to have it all for you tomorrow. God bless and good night.